Boy, it is hot in here tonight. It is hot in here, so I'm not going to roast. Thank you so much, Judy. <sighs> All right. Turn with me to 1 John. First John, and you know only in Texas, in 36 hours or so, we're going to be at 40 degrees, <laughs> only in Texas. But, you know, let's pause to praise. Lord, we just thank God Texas is still here. Amen? All right. All right, First John chapter 3. How many of you have been enjoying this series in First John? I tell you, I love it. I love the Word of God. It's so rich. And we're going to look tonight at something that I just love. And I've, I've got it uh, here on the transparency tonight. So let's just stand to read that first verse together. And then we're going to pray and get right into the message, right into the Word, right into what God the Holy Ghost moved John to write. So let's say it together, can we? Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you tonight that you have bestowed on us a manner of love that is otherworldly. And we thank you for that love, and we thank you, Lord, that John has told us the truth, moved on by the Holy Ghost, about our faith and the effect it ought to have on us. Speak to us tonight. Minister your truth to us tonight in the name of Jesus. Lord, we humble ourselves before you. And we know, Lord, we cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that has proceeded from the mouth of God. So, Lord Jesus, change us tonight in your mighty name. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Well, i got to tell you, I've just gotten into my own just rewarding time in 1 John. I mean, I, 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 I put this stuff together to teach us here, but I've gone on my own journey in, into 1 John. I've never taught 1 John ever have I gone through the whole letter uh, with a congregation. This is first for me. And I've gotten so into it, this is just my kind of thing, but, uh, you know, every day I'm reading a chapter in the original language just to soak it up just to soak it up. It's so rich. It's so powerful. And I tell you, the Word of God is alive, and it's powerful, and it's sharper than a two-edged sword. And it is the sword that the Spirit uses to give us victory over the devil. So we need to know the Word. If we know anything, we need to know the Word of God. Amen? All right, let's look at this. Now, notice that John... He just kind of starts off and says, wow, behold, think about it. Let it hit you in the face. The manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. Now that little phrase, manner of love, and I hope you, you folks don't mind that I do go into Greek some, because this was written in Greek. And um, I'm not going to go over your head or anything, but I think that we need to understand what some of these Greek words mean what some of the tenses mean because if you read first John only in English you'll come out of there thinking you're not saved you'll come out of there thinking that you're just backslidden with the worst of them uh, it, it helps to know the Greek language so from time to time I'm gonna say this is what this word was taken from in the Greek 
because the Greek is, is so much richer than English. It just is. So uh, just pardon me as I do that because I am going to go into it some. So manner of love comes from a Greek word meaning from what country, race, or tribe? This manner of love. In other words, God love is, t- is totally foreign to the human race unless it manifests through somebody saved. Where in the world has this love? John was looking at the love of God and going, where does this love come from? It's like it's from another country. It's from another land. How many of you have noticed that what passes for love in this world is pretty shoddy? I mean, it's weak. It's not agape love. It's almost invariably conditional. So John looks at the love of God and he says, wow, what a mind blower. This love, this love of God. He said it's like it's from another land. And it is. Verse 1 could read, from what far realm? What unearthly love? How otherworldly? Because you don't find it here. One of the results of this love in action is that we are called sons of God. Isn't that powerful? That's one of the results of God's love. John uses the word technon, that's the Greek word for sons, which means born children. Born children. Behold what manner of love God has bestowed on us that we have been called born children. We've been born. You know what, if you're a child of God here tonight, and I trust all of us are, most of us are, if you're a child of God, you've been born twice. You've been born twice, according to the Word of God. This echoes what Jesus said, you must be born again. You know, I was talking to Tom Dooley at lunch Sunday, and he said, you know, when we do these hundred guitars and thousand guitar things, we're going to go out there. And he said, one reason I'm going to drag you along is I want somebody to stand up and say, you've got to be born again. Instead of God wants you to be successful, God wants you with a lot of money, we need some voices that are saying, you must be born again or you will not see the kingdom of God. And if somebody says, i got a problem with that, say, all right, I'm real sorry you do, but I didn't say that. I'm just quoting the man. He said it. You must be born twice. This echoes what Jesus said. What did Jesus say? Can we say it together? You must be born. This cuts to the crux of everything John is driving at in the whole letter. You've either been born again or you have not. If you haven't, here's what John is telling us. You're going to live a lifestyle of habitual sin. If you're not born again, you're going to live a lifestyle of habitual sin. If you have been born again, you are not going to live a lifestyle of habitual sin. Well, that's too narrow. Well, let's just make it real simple. You're sitting there. Either you have been born or you haven't. And anybody in here can say, I was born. But either somebody was born or they weren't. That's not narrow. That's just science. Well, you've either been born again or you have not. 
and there's no pale shade of gray. You've been born again or you haven't. You can have a good dose of religion. You can be in church all your life long and be lost. You've got to have an encounter with the living God through the person of Christ. And Jesus himself said, if you're not born again, you will not ever cast your gaze on the kingdom of God. And see, our culture right now wants to do away with that truth and water it all down. Well, you know, you can get to God a hundred different ways. It's, it's your choice. Uh, you, you don't have to come by way of Christ. You can come by way of Buddha or Muhammad or uh, Krishna or go hug a tree or mean well, have good intentions, and you'll still get into heaven. No. Jesus said, you have to be, you have to undergo a supernatural heart change. You have to undergo a miracle on the inside. You have to be born twice. Now, Jesus told Nicodemus, who was an old hand at the law, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, born from above, making God your father, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Isn't that powerful? You're not going to see it. You're not going to see it. And that's, that's powerful and that's sobering to me. And if the church in America, if the church in the West ever really woke up and fully believed that, we'd have evangelism going on like nobody's business. If you're not born again, you won't see the kingdom of God. Now, John says, he says, hey, guess what? The world does not know us. Those who have been born from above. Those of us who have been born from above. The world doesn't know us. The, the word for know there is gnosko, and that means they're not in an ongoing relationship with you and me. The world doesn't, is not increasingly coming to know you and me. Those that have not been born again don't have the most fundamental thing in common that you can have with those who have been born again. And so they don't know us. Have you ever... Have you ever kind of needed to be around at the workplace or in your family or something with people on a consistent basis who were not born again and you were? And you, have you ever felt that sort of impasse that you reach? You, you can talk for a while and you can, you can shoot the breeze for a while, but there comes a time where you sort of look at each other and there, there is a lack of connection because you're born again. And that's not elitism. That's not holier than thou. Something has happened to you that hasn't happened to them. And so you reach a place where you can talk for a while, but then, hey, there, there's something here that, where I can't connect. And the reason I can't connect is because, according to John, you don't know me. Because you don't know him. And I'm his offspring. I mean, this is just as real as it could be. I'm so glad that John was black and white and not gray. While recognizing us as Christians, the world does not come to an understanding and appreciation of the natural people, or nature of people that we are, since unsaved people have never had a saving relationship with or knowledge of God. How are you ever going to explain to somebody what a chocolate sundae 
with whipped cream and a cherry on top taste like if they've never had it? Well, it's rich tasting. What does that mean? Oh, it's so sweet and good. I don't know what you mean. The only way somebody's going to understand what a chocolate sundae tastes like is if they taste a chocolate sundae. No, you can talk all day to somebody who hasn't been born again and say, well, I have peace, I have love in my heart, this and that and the other, but it doesn't compute until they go to the cross, have the blood cover their sin, the Holy Ghost goes into their own soul and they become born twice their spirit that was dead in trespasses and sins is made alive through Jesus Christ then they get you so John is saying don't think it's strange that they don't like you or understand you or connect with you they start to go out somewhere and they start to invite you and then you hear them talking well, you're not getting like that, right? Well, what's the matter? Oh, they're born again Christians. Yeah. Born again Christians. Oh, I get it. Here's what they mean by that. Weird. <laughs> Inexplicable. No compute. All right? Children of God could just as well have come to earth from a strange planet so far as the people of the world are concerned. If you're really walking your talk, if you're out there living for God in front of them, that's what they think. He, she, they're from another planet. I don't understand them. They don't think like me. They don't talk like me. They don't live like me. Yes, because our lives have been invaded by a good spirit, and our souls have undergone a radical fundamental change. We've been born again, born twice. Listen to what Jesus said in John 15, 18. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If the world, what, Lord, hates me? Now, being a word person, I want to know. That word hate, what, did he, what word did he use in the original for the word hate? The same word that's in 1 John 3, 15, when John said, he who hates his brother is a murderer. It's the same Greek word. So it's saying that the world can actually hate you to the level of murder just because you know him. I used to read that in the 70s and think, well, that'll never come to America. But now I see that everywhere in America. If you go out there in some places and say, I'm a born-again Christian and I live for God and I love Jesus Christ, they don't just shun you. Some of them will hate you with murderous hatred. And Jesus said, don't take it personally. It's not your deodorant. It's me. It's me. Because before they hated you, they hated me. I got to tell you, folks, I've watched the news lately. I see what's going on around the world, and I see what's going on in America, and I'm amazed at the hatred that is being expressed towards Jesus Christ. Hatred. Look what happened during Christmas. I mean, we hate him so bad, we don't even want you saying anything with his name in it. So quit saying Christmas and just say holiday. Why? 
because we hate the name of Christ, because we hate Christ. This, John said, is the spirit of Antichrist. It's a spirit, and it sources itself in the devil, who hates the anointed one, the Messiah, Jesus, who undid his works, as we're just about to see. Jesus said the world would love its own. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you, where everybody, say it with me, out of the world. I chose you out of the world. Therefore, because of that, the world hates you. Now I'll tell you when the world's going to hate you. Now Jesus was not, of course, he was not telling us to go uh, live in some monastery somewhere and cut ourselves off from society. That's not what he was saying. He's saying, I've called you out of the evil world system, the cosmos. I've called you out of it. I don't want you partaking of the evil world system that revolves around the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life that says, I don't need God. He says, I don't want you connecting with that, living in that system. I've called you out of the world. And when you come out of that world, and don't do what they do, go where they go, think like they think, and, but you think otherwise, you really actually think opposite of them, and you're following Christ and not the devil, that's when they hate you, when you're open about it and clear about it and upfront about it. They'll hate you. They'll hate you. On one level or another. And I used to wonder about that, and then I just, the Lord just said to me one day, to my spirit, one day, actually in college, a long time ago, he said to me, Jeff, it's not you. It's not you. It's me. Because I used to say, what's the matter with me? Look in the mirror, am I bugging them? Do I look like I'm mad at them or something? No. I had a film class, I'm telling you, I, I know now, I don't know how it is to be persecuted like some Christians do in, a, in, a, in, a, in the world, but I had a film class once at University of North Texas. And we had to do our own little film. I've told this story many times, but it's worth telling again because it was a defining moment for me. I had this film class, and we were all to do a little five-minute film. We had our own producer, our own camera people, our own audio people, and, and we were to write the script, and we were to be the talent. And it was around Christmas time. So I just thought, well, these are intellectually inclined, sharp college people. So what I'll do is I'll just do my movie on the prophecies that came to pass concerning Jesus Christ. <laughs> what a great idea. Surely they'll come up to me and say, wow, I didn't know that. Tell me more. But I didn't know that I was walking right into a pit of darkness when I did that movie. And I was the talent, and I'll never forget, I had my little cue cards, and I had camera people, I had my audio person up there in the, in the sound booth, and my producer over to the side, and I started reading these, these, these cards, cue cards. But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, yet out of you shall he come forth who is to be ruler over all of Israel, whose goings have been from old, even from everlasting to everlasting. And then I said, obviously, ladies and gentlemen, the Bible was talking about a supernatural being 
who has always been and always will be, who would come to earth and invade earth via the town of Bethlehem. And I'm saying this, and I heard this movement. There's these strong lights on me, and I'm staring into the camera, a little nervous, you know. And, but I hear this movement, shuffling of feet, voices muffled, few choice words here and there. And then when my program was over, I looked, and there was no one in there. The cameras had been vacated. The audio booth was vacated. There was one person standing there holding one television cord who was a believer. And she said, I'm sorry, Jeff, they all left. I went into my professor, my teacher. He was hiding in his office. I said, where'd you go? It's all that, Jeff. No, it wasn't anything to do with your subject matter. I uh, 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 just got a little, uh, wasn't feeling good, you know, in my stomach. I said, where'd everybody else go? He said, I don't know, you'd have to ask them. I walked out into the hall, and they're all leaned up against the wall, out in the hall, smoking, talking, wouldn't look at me. So I walked past them. I, I remember I felt so humiliated. I felt so uh, rejected and so stupid. So much for intellectual curiosity. It's like, you can't handle the truth. <laughs> and I was walking outside of, of the college and walking to my next class, and I was downcast. And Jesus spoke to my heart and said, Jeff, it wasn't you. It was me. They got convicted. They weren't expecting that. And the light shined into the darkness of that class. And it just hit them upside the head. Don't take it personally. And I didn't. Went right back into that class two days later, sat down. Hey, how's it going? And it was like, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I felt like a vampire. <laughs> but see, Jesus and John, the Bible tells us this. I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. If that happens, it's not you, it's him. Now, verse 2, Beloved, now are we children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Can I have an amen? amen. What a powerful verse. Now, the phrase, when he is revealed, is referring to the rapture of the church. Don't let anybody tell you there's no such thing as the rapture of the church or that's just some old myth or some first century fable because John said, when, not if, when he appears. We will be like him, we'll see him as he is. Now John might as well have said, what shall we be like? What are we going to be like following his appearing? He's saying, you know, I've thought about it, I've prayed about it. It does not yet appear what we shall be. I don't know. I can't tell you what we're going to be. But here's what I can tell you. It's unknown. It's unknown. It's one of those things you're not going to know. It has never at any time been manifested what we shall be when he returns. Now the use of what 
suggests something unspeakable, not bad, but good. Something contained in the likeness of God. We don't know what we shall be, only that it will be like Him. We're going to be like Him in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the sound of the last trump. The trumpet will blow. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then those of us who are alive and remain shall be caught up, raptured with them in the clouds, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Read this next verse with me, would you? Because Paul talked about this too. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will do what, everybody? Preach it to me. Who will transform our lowly body, that it may be what? Conformed to his glorious. We're going to trade a lowly body for a glorious body. Somebody say amen. amen. And you're going to have one that lame powers couldn't give to you. Amen? According to, how is this going to happen? How in the world is this going to happen? According to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. So here's what's going to, the day is going to come when he returns. Now remember, church, people were saying before Jesus came the first time, oh, you know, that's just, that's not going to happen. That's just an old fable. We've waited and waited and waited. It's been hundreds, centuries, hundreds of years since the prophets spoke this stuff. But Jesus came anyway the first time. Now the Bible is just as clear that he will come a second time. Just as clear. All right? And when he does, we're going to be transformed. Now here's what the word transformed the Greek means, literally, to change in appearance. We're going to be changed in appearance. In a moment, in a flash, blink once. Quicker than that. Quicker than that. Because the word in a moment, moment is atomos, and it's where we get atom. And it literally is talking about a moment of time that's so small you can't split it. You'll be walking along and you won't be. Just like that. I like what C.S. Lewis said, and he, C.S. Lewis was a, a, a master of medieval history, and he said, you know, a lot of the myths and fables in history, you read them and you go, yeah, that's a myth and that's a fable, but he said, as I, as an atheist, when I, as an atheist, began to study the person of Christ and the things surrounding his life, he said, it was like a fable at first. But then it began to ring true. And here was a man who was a, a master at studying all kinds of different fables and myths and legends in history. But when I began as an atheist to study the story of Christ, though it was spectacular and miraculous, it began to strike me as a fable that was true. So when we talk about this, we go, you know, really, Pastor Jeff, do you believe that? I know it's fantastic, but the same God who said, let there be, and flung his hand, and the birds sprayed the sky, the fishes of the sea, the thousands of species began to swim and churn in the oceans. That same God will say, 
son, go get your bride. And with the same working by which he's able to subdue all things to himself, we will be raptured. It's fantastic, but it rings true. Amen? And we're going to be changed in appearance. And then the word conformed has, means to have the same form or shape, to be like. So he's saying when Christ comes, we will instantly be changed in appearance into whatever he looks like. The glorified body that Christ had, we will have. A glorified body. Glorified body. No sickness, no headaches, no extra strength, etc. No arthritis pain, no cancer, no heart disease, no open heart surgery, no trips to the doctor, won't be any doctors. We're going to be with the doctor, Jesus. We'll be healed and forever whole. Never again to cry, never again to have a broken heart, never again to be hurting with anything that the fall of Adam and Eve brought upon mankind. It will all be gone. Now John is saying, we know, and he used the word oida, which is not gnosko. Gnosko means to come to know on a gradual basis or incrementally. Oida means to fully and absolutely know something. Where you don't have a question, you're not having to work through anything. John said, that's how much we know that when he appears, we're going to be changed in appearance and take on the same form or likeness as him. We absolutely, fully know it. Amen. Now he says, and here's the, the crux of this whole teaching tonight, everybody who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Amen? Now, if you're expecting Jesus to come back at any time, you live right. You li Somebody was talking to me last week and said, you know, we believe the Lord's coming any, any day now. So, uh, you know, I'm just not going to save any money for my kids' college fund because I don't think we'll be here for it. And I said, no, 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 no. I know plenty of people that are 80 and thought Jesus was coming in their lifetime and never went to college. And here's what I said live like he's coming in five minutes but plan like he's never coming live like he's coming in five minutes but plan like he's never going to come be wise with the things of this life but live your life like you could be walking along at any time and dun, 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 uh. I'm going to be in the clouds. You're going to be in the clouds. I don't know if we're going to be able to wave. If you have aerophobia, you better get over it. Fear of flying. It won't be, we're not going to float up like angels. We're going to suddenly be there. It's a rapture. Now, he says, he uses the word in. See, who, he who has this hope in him the word in is epi, and it means upon. Our hope is resting upon a person, upon the person 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing else. Why do I have this hope in me? Because of Jesus Christ. Why do I believe that one day I'm going to go to heaven? Because of Jesus Christ. Why do I believe that I will not go to hell? Because of Jesus Christ. Why do I believe that there is such a thing as eternity? Because of Jesus Christ. Why do I care about the church? Because of Jesus Christ. Why do I live right? Because of Jesus Christ. And John is saying, our hope is upon a person. Purifies himself means that the hope of being like the Lord Jesus arouses the determination to be pure like him. And this brings into play the will of the Christian to carry that resolve out into action. In dependence on the Holy Spirit, the Christian puts sin out of his life and keeps it out. Why do we do that? Because of Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus Christ. Now here he goes, meddling again. Everybody happy tonight? Say amen. Amen. All right. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. All right, now the word commit, whoever commits sin, is in the the tense that means to do something habitually. This is a, a mantra with John. He tells us over and over again, if you're a believer, if you're saved, you do not live habitually in sin like somebody who's lost. All right? God is saying that it's utterly incompatible to be a child of God and maintain a lifestyle of habitually living in sin like somebody who is lost. I heard some of you just now say to yourselves, well, I know people that I know were saved and they're living in sin just like somebody lost. Well, instead of making that statement, Let me reply. Are you going to look at what you see and say the word's not true or say the word is true and what I see isn't? And and you don't know the hearts of people who are out there who you say were born again, but now they're living in sin, totally living in sin. You don't know the hell they're in. You don't know the misery they're in. I'm going to tell you, God's got a wood shed. And God, you that paddle and you will be chastened by God to a level you don't even want to say sin but my business is not those people out there my business is what the word tells me and how I respond to it how are you going to respond to it So, so let it be written, so let it be done. God said, if you're saved, you're not going to habitually live in sin like somebody lost. And if you do, your days are numbered. God's going to get you by the scruff of the neck, and you're going to regret the day that you ever walked away if you're a child of God. When you got saved, you got ruined for sin. God ruined your party. You can't go out there like them and have a good time like worldly people. They're going to hell. They're lost. But you aren't. Now, lawlessness is anomia. It comes from 
nomos, which is the word for law, and when you stick that A in front of it, it just totally negates the word. So what it's, when you put that ah in front of nomos or nomia, you're saying no law, no law. If you're living in sin, you have a life with no law. You're not responding to the word of God. You're not responding to your conscience. You have a life of no law. It's lawlessness. Sin is no law. No principle. Sin and lawlessness are identical. When he says take away, he, came, he was manifested to take away our sins. Take away is from a word meaning to lift and carry away. The same Greek word is used in John 2.16. He said to those who sold doves in the temple, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. So when they started carrying out the tables and the doves and all the stuff that came with the money changers, carried them out of the temple and carried them away, that's what Jesus does with your sin. He carries it away from you, never to return. Isn't that good? Amen. All right, we're headed towards the end. Everybody say, oh me, or amen. amen. All right, good. Those of you that have been living in sin, you better say, oh me, and get down to the altar real quick when we're done. All right. Now, whoever abides in him, John says, here he goes again, does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. John is not teaching that a child of God never sins, but that a born-again child of God does not sin habitually as the unsaved person he or she is not turned towards sin doesn't have that bent can't go live in sin with impunity like somebody lost you can't do it you'll be convicted you'll be in misery you can't be happy in it anymore it's over might as well live for god seen <laughs> when he says the one living in sin hasn't seen him means to see with discernment. The person living in sin continually has not seen who Jesus truly is and turned to him. If you're living in sin, you're not discerning Jesus. Because if you discern him, you would turn quick. All right? Now, little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The word deceive means to lead astray. Don't be led astray into believing that someone who habitually practices sin is saved. Why? Because the message is, you too can live in sin. And that's a lie. Now, why does this matter to you and me? You remember that series I, I preached on friends? See, if you're around somebody and they can live in sin and tell you, oh, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. Well, they're a Christian like, you know, everybody in America is a Christian. And everybody in Dallas is a cowboy. And everybody in the South is a Baptist. But look, John is saying, don't let these people lead you astray into a lie because if if they're not living for god if they can sin and have no qualms with it no conscience with it john wants you to be wise enough to say lost i'm not running around with them sure not gonna marry them 
I'm going to say this for the sake of somebody listening to my tape because I know nobody in here needs this, but if you start dating somebody who won't go to church on their own, won't read the Word on their own, act like you're asking them to do something really difficult if you ask them to pray with you, they're not living for God, they might be performing a little bit for you, but they're not really living for God, never assume that you're going to lead them to Jesus if you marry them, silly girl. Mama, you think you're going to mama them into the kingdom? Uh-uh. John said, don't let anybody lead you astray. If they're not living for God in their individual lives, they're not saved. Okay. We're going to have to edit out that clapping so this can go on radio. Yeah. Verse 8, he who sins is of the devil. John for the devil has sinned from the beginning for this purpose the son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil now this is our last verse because we can't take any more than this so let me just let me just finish with this and we'll just go to the house he who is continually doing sin he that makes sin his business or practice is of and that word of in the Greek is ek and when you say ek, it means out of or sourced out of. So the devil, so he that makes sin his business or practice is sourced out of the devil. That's their source. This person has not been born again. His sinful tendencies, issuing from his totally depraved nature, inherited from Adam, find their ultimate source in the devil who brought about the downfall of our first parents. Because if you're born once, I'm going to go ahead and say it. This is New Testament theology. If you're born once, you're sourced in the devil. If you're born twice, you're sourced in God. That's what the New Testament says. Now don't qualm with me. Don't, don't quibble with me. That's what he says. Jesus said to the Pharisees, get a hold of this. If God were your father, if God were your father, Pharisees, you quoting the Old Testament to me and climbing all over me and criticizing me all the time, if God were your father, you would love me. These people that go out and hug a tree, they say they have other gods, they're going to heaven by other ways. But here, you say to them, if God were your father, you would love Christ. Wow. For I proceeded forth, and came from God nor have I come of myself but he sent me but look what he said to these Pharisees now can you imagine their faces these were the religious leaders of the temple but you are of ek out of your father the devil and the desires of your father you want to do now there's a principle of life church whoever your daddy is his desires you're gonna do if you haven't been born again you're gonna do the works of the devil because you're sourced in the devil that's just a fact if you've been born again your source is the father and you're gonna do the works of the father it's just that simple 
Wow, can you imagine, can you imagine what that caused? Well, I'd like to go on CNN and say that sometimes. <laughs> or, you know what, just about anywhere on secular TV. And wouldn't they keep me there for a while? Destroy is from a word meaning to loosen or dissolve. Now here's where we're going to close tonight. Jesus has loosened and destroyed the works of the devil. By the blood of his cross, he has paid for sin, made a way of escape from the arch enemy of men's souls, defeated the purposes of the devil, and will soon bring about his complete downfall when he returns and casts him into the lake of fire. All right, let's stand together, can we? Well, I'm going to tell you, y'all got Christianity in the raw tonight, because that's what it is. That's what it is. So it doesn't take a rocket scientist to look at somebody and how they live and figure out who their daddy is. Hey, man, Pastor Jeff, that's heavy stuff. I just prayed. I'm going to take this tape to somebody. We need this, and we need to be preaching this. All right, Father, we just thank you tonight for just the word as it is to people as they are. And Lord, we thank you that by the incredible grace and mercy of God, you convicted us, showed us our condition, and you drew us to the cross. And only because of that blood-stained cross have our fallen natures been changed. And by your mercy, we've been born twice. And Lord, we long to see millions in this world also be born twice. Help us to, to play a part in that. Now I want you just to thank the Lord that you've been saved. Thank him that the Holy Spirit touched you. Just thank the Lord. Saving grace is keeping us. We praise you for it, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, next Wednesday night we begin with the most familiar verse in all of 1 John, if we confess our sins. Don't miss it. It's going to be good. And Sunday, come and learn how to worship. We've got stuff out here. If you're saved, you can eat it. If you're not... Come right down here now. We'll pray for you. No. All right. God bless you. Have a good night.